0: Welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast and it is the end of the season and soon we'll all be heading off on holiday. Um, So we'll be finishing the current season uh, with internal discussion with the rest of the team here and uh, joining me on the podcast are Michael and John from the Armchair Trader team and today we're actually going to be talking about stock picks and what we're going to be doing today is I've asked everyone to come up with three companies they like the look of. One is a large cap stock, one is a mid to small cap stock, and then and then we're going to round off um, with a discussion on some wildcard uh, stocks that we we've noticed and and also like the look of. Welcome, welcome to the show, guys. Anyway, thanks, Stuart. Yeah, thanks. In the interest of time, um, I'll kick off straight away with one that I've actually been looking at this is my large cap pick and it's one that I've actually I mean it's a company I'm familiar with um from a previous life when I was editor of the hedge fund journal um and it's uh it's man group it's a hedge fund manager been around for a long time I used to work for another company that competed against them and uh they were the winners in that particular uh arm wrestling match but these days if you're Interested in the dynamics of the hedge fund market. It's certainly a very large business and increasingly more diversified business. Now, under new leadership, uh, because um, old contact of mine, uh, Luke Ellis, is stepping down as CEO. But the share price has been picking up recently. When you look at something like this, it's been cropping up on my value screens in the last 10 days, uh, indicators being that fundamentally it was oversold and it was suddenly in the last few days the shares have been picking up and i've been looking at it trying to figure out why and i think it's because they just announced that they're buying a private credit fund manager which is varagon capital partners private credit is an area of the alternative investment space that has been growing over the last 15 years or so ever since the last big financial crisis It is an area of increasing interest for institutional investors, and it's obviously something that Man Group has decided they want to get into. Um, They've acquired a a controlling stake in a high-quality U.S.-focused group, Um, and that seems to be um, going down well with investors because the stock has been moving. Uh, It had been looking relatively moribund um, over April and May, where it was trading between about two hundred six and. 229 uh, but now up at 238 and i think it probably has a lot further to go in that respect it's certainly you know with a new management team you don't know where things are going to go over the next couple of years but certainly this acquisition seems to be regarded by the market as a step in the right direction so um it's it's a very well managed company all the metrics seem to suggest that um, it's very financially robust, very decent brand, and it is a business that I think will continue to make money even um, in the current economic circumstances. How long a trade that should be, I don't know, but certainly overall, it seems to be a decent value play at the moment. So that's my that's my um, my large cap pick. For this podcast shall we go to um michael next
1: happy to jump in so so mine's probably on on most people's portfolios anyway it's a a company whose uh, products and, and services are sort of intrinsic to to our lives uh and it's 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 in the tech sector but it's it, it's almost above and beyond the tech sector so uh i'm talking about microsoft uh, shares are up 38% this year. So uh, although it's, it's it, it was a bit of a wobble towards the end of last year, it's, uh, it, it's it found its resilience and, uh, and the share price keeps moving. AI is something that we've been talking about an awful lot here at the Armchair Trader, and, and it's sort of you know a, a buzz word at the moment uh, for everybody. And uh, and it feels like Microsoft is sort of going to be at the forefront of, of any developments there as we, uh, as we go forward. Um and what's interesting, they um uh they just had a courtroom victory for um uh the purchase of Activision Blizzard. And uh, it, it just it's, it's a lot of money that they've been bought for uh, and it just just feels like uh that there could be the possibility to sort of uh almost change the face of gaming a little bit. I think there's some um uh, some, some ideas there. Again, it's Microsoft sort of pushing the boundaries. The only thing for me uh is that it pays a low dividend. Um, which means that there's there's reliance on you know continuous growth of the share price, but it's it's a great company. It's a great uh, they've got great products. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know Microsoft touches our lives in you know, one way or another pretty much every day.
0: I'd certainly, I was talking to a fund manager the other day who's who's heavily into Microsoft, and he was really raving about it. Um, I, I think mainly because he likes the business model you know it's very subtle you, you so many people use it and and these days you're just being charged a a small monthly fee for their for their product suite they they as you say they seem to be <laughs> intrinsically involved in the lives of of most businesses and individuals around the planet um and i I think that's that's why it's something that you know many investors already own and also probably a good benchmark for the tech sector as well i should apologize to listeners who who may be wondering why i'm sounding so croaky and and michael's sounding subdued as well but we were were out at at a party in the city last night which went on quite late so we're still we're still uh Getting back on our feet this morning, <laughs> so apologise to you all. Um, not at the party was uh, was John, um, who's...
1: <laughs> much sharper.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hop- hoping he's sharper than we
2: are. <laughs> <laughs> not that much sharper. Um, I mean, Microsoft's interesting because it's yeah, you know, it's almost like a utility now because it's essential to sort of so many people. I mean, like you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation without Microsoft right now, and. You know, uh, it's just it's it's like something which everybody needs. And it's just got that place in the market where, you know, it's entrenched and it's just going to be a revenue producer. I mean, I, I generally cover small caps name. So, you know, uh, large caps is, is is not my area of, uh, of expertise. But, you know, I've been really blessed in the fact that, you know, I've had a large cap, which has very quickly become a small cap. And because I'm such a contrarian, you know, I'm not going to say buy this stock because I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. But, you know, Cineworld, we've been covering for about a year now, and it's a company that just keeps on giving. Well, except, of course, to shareholders. In recent history, well, at least since um, I've been part of the Armchair Trader team, you know, it's been one of the most spectacular falls of grace I've seen. Now, I don't know whether you, you, you've you read any of my articles, and I'm, I'm really not a Cineworld hater. And to be fair, I've got really fond memories, as we all do, you know, sort of Cineworld and Picture House and it's just a bit of a British institution. And over my life Cineworld's been a background of several good events. But, you know, if you look at it from a business case, the the business case changed a lot since Mookie Good I never can say this guy's name, Gredinger, um, took over. Now he he, uh, he came on, you know, about ten years ago, um, and he was part of an Israeli sort of um, Eastern European cinema business and he became the CEO and he was really aggressive in the build-up of sort of cine world and he spent spent uh, the last decade or so gobbling up all these little cinema businesses across Eastern Europe and because of the scale that he built and the ability to bring all the big films and hold them in the, the, the theatres for longer and offer kind of a US-style movie theatre experience and able to sort of with, with the scale discount through offers and memberships, he kind of sort of pushed the the one man band local picture house businesses out of town. I mean, where I grew up in Bradford, we had two little local cinemas. That, to be fair, were sort of grotty flea pits with out-of-date sweets and greasy popcorn. And then a shiny new cine world just appeared, you know, at an out-of-town retail park. And literally, it was six months to a year before the two local cinemas closed. And a lot of cine's growth has been been on the back of using other people's money which is kind of a flag to some of the other companies that we're seeing in the large-cap large cap, um, large cap um, environment now. You know, I think that Mookie, when he came on, that's, um, was quite successful. And, you know, when Cineworld took over UGC, which was sort of like a French-European sort of uh, cinema, that was a really good deal. But that was done by Blackstone because it was private equity-owned beforehand. And then they took over sort of Picturehouse, and they had some really nice sites, very art deco, and it brought a different aspect to, to sort of US-style Um, But that was another deal that was done pre-Mookie. And, you know, at that point, Cine was doing brilliantly for shareholders. You know, it was growing in value, throwing off dividends, um, wasn't doing so well for its employees who were sort of zero-hour contract, less than living wage slaves. Mookie then oversaw the launch of Cine World Central in Piccadilly, which is this vast cinema complex, and uh, followed it up with the acquisition of a company called Empire, um, which kind of cemented it in the Central London scheme. The biggest feather in sort of, Mookie's hat was probably you know getting hold of regal cinemas and he bought that for about three billion dollars which opened the door to the sort of biggest movie watching market. Um, and through that deal Cineworld did what sort of Stone Roses and Blur just could never do and cracked America. You know, however it kind of started to go a bit wrong from then on in for Mookie. They were they were the number two cinema business in the world then, but all of a sudden he just went off script and started ad-libbing a bit you know, and he was saying, well, you know, I'm something more than we are. He got into the production side and tried to make movies as well as, you know, you know, kind of show movies. Uh, and then he bit off a lot more than he could chew when he sort of tried to buy Cineplex, which were um, it's a Canadian business, but they're, they're big in sort of uh, North America. And that deal went in at about 2 billion. Now, again, that was a heavily leveraged deal. You know, they borrowed a lot of money on top of the money they had, and it would have made them the sort of biggest cinema business in the world. Um, it was greenlighted by shareholders. And then inexplicably, you know, Cinehole just walked away. And what happened then was that Cineplex sued Cineworld. The UK company lost and had to pay a billion dollars in damages. Um, and things were sort of kind of going along OK. And then along came coronavirus, which just caused all cinemas to close their doors. You know, people then learned about sort of streaming in lockdown and the attraction of paying 50 quid to watch a movie and stuff your face with nachos and penny sweets with a load of other people in a shed kind of started to lose its appeal. Now, the younger generation, who are generally the demographic, which most um, mostly go to the movies, okay, started to come out of lockdown. And instead of going to the cinema, they decided to just cut out the middleman and sort of Netflix and chill. Um, the thing is that in this critical sort of post-regal to coronavirus lockdown, all those bankers that um, fueled Sydney's expansion were still sort of totting up with their interest on the four or five billion pounds worth of debt that had fueled its growth. Now, that's a lot of popcorn that Mookie had to sell just to make the repayments. And come August last year, there was no escape. And Sydney went into Chapter 11 to stop the bankers sending the bailiffs around. Thing is, what's unraveled since has just been farcical and even comedic. And it's a copybook on how not to manage a bankruptcy and how not to annoy uh, shareholders, lenders and the media. I mean, Mookie just really hasn't covered himself in glory over the last year, but he has managed to cover himself in dollar bills, you know, with a reported sort of $35 million, million dollar severance deal. Um, that's a lot more than the big fat zeros that shareholders are going to get. That said, you know, Sydney World's been a bit of a lesson on how to sort of weasel yourself out of a situation brought on by your own hubris and still get a golden handshake goodbye, which I think, Is relevant because other executives at companies like sort of Vodafone or Thames Water might be looking at going. Hmm, I think we can replicate this. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, that's (laughs) that's been a story that I know we've been following quite closely for some months now. What do you think has been the big interest from investors in CineWorld, John? Because I think you know, even going back to the pandemic when we were covering it back in 2021, there was there was huge investor interest in CineWorld, even though it was. All, all the, all the um, cinemas were closed. I mean, obviously, people were buying Netflix as well, but but for some reason, the mass market thought CineWorld represented
2: a good bet. Well, it's it's, it's big and shiny, and you know, every time you sort of drive past a motorway or drive down a motorway, you'll see a CineWorld sort of glowing out in the dark. It's an understatement to say that perhaps Hollywood might be overhyped. Okay, and you know, I think that sort of uh, CineWorlds jumped on that hype, um, and people, I think. We're going for more experiences than stuff, and Cineworld gave you an experience. And to be fair, I mean, you know, even in in the last couple of years when they've uh, they've been down in sort of the doldrums, you know, they've still been sort of trying to push that that envelope out. I think um, I quite enjoy going to sort of one of their their um, theaters in in central London in Leicester Square and seeing their sort of four DX. And I watched Avatar there and I was getting spat on and, you know, there was smoke going off and, you know, the arrows being thrown at me. And I went, wow, this is pretty good. Although I could have gone to Spain for the same price. People will always look at movies and look at glamour and look at sort of, you know, pizzazz. But the, the, the thing is that I don't think they moved with what was going on in, in, in the market. And also, you've got to earn your own money before you can start taking on big deals like that. And I think going back to sort, you know, Muki um, is is a lot of a lot of hubris. He started sort of believing that he was something that he wasn't. He started off life selling sweets in a sort, you know, kind of a, a cinema in Haifa, and then suddenly thought he was an investment banker. Now I'm not criticising him personally because he's he's done great. That's that's what happens when you sort of start believing your own script. He's not done great for his shareholders. I think that's the uh, that's the fundamental yeah. issue. He's not done great for shareholders. I mean, the th- thing is, I mean, like. You know, it's going to go into a whole co now owned by the bankers, you know, it'll drop off the sort of um, LSE, but we'll put it past them in sort of maybe sort of five years going back into private equity, going back into, sort you know, the stock market, you know, uh, that's if people are still sort of watching movies, but the amount that sort of Hollywood's chucking at things, it's back on the sort of, you
1: know, rollercoaster of Never Neverland. I think it's quite interesting. Stuart, you mentioned about, um, uh, you know, how Cineworld was uh, taken to people's hearts over the course of um, uh, lockdowns and and, and coronavirus. And, uh, you know, I remember Carnival being another one getting a lot of attention and and your point, John, of sort of, you know, shiny. I, I wonder if it's sort of people were hankering after sort of, you know, getting out. Going to the cinema is, is is always a good one. Going on holiday on a sort of a luxury yacht or something for through Carnival, you know, they're, they're, they're things that people wanted to do. And maybe that uh, is probably influencing. Nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, at the time.
2: You know, you look at the entertainment sector as a whole, you know, another sort of stock that we've covered has been Hollywood Bowl. The Hollywood Bowls had the same problems. They had to sh- shut their alleys and stop paying staff and putting people on furlough. But they've sort of kind of come out of, out of it you know, and they're still really vibrant because they've got that balance between sort of value, right? And, you know, the experience, right? And uh, I think that, you know, they're, they're how you should have run a business. Trying to sort you know, kind of just stick to your knitting. Whereas I think that, you know, kind of senior world getting into sort of the production side and things like that. You know, was probably sort of pushing the envelope a bit too far.
0: Okay, so moving on to the sort of smaller end of the market. uh, My my next one is a little bit of a (laughs) cop-out because it's an investment trust. But it is one which has exposure to India. I've been a big fan of the Indian economic growth story. Um, As a kid, I used to live there. But I've been noticing, uh, for example, when we're looking at IPOs globally, the Indian IPO market has been incredibly hot recently. Not necessarily a good thing, but it does demonstrate that the Indian economy, unlike a, a lot of other parts of the world, is actually doing quite well. The investment trust in question is India Capital Growth, which is listed in London with the ticker IGC. And it's advised by Gorav Narain at Ocean Dial Asset Management based in India. Um, it's had some very good performance. Obviously, over the last five years, you've got a factor in the impact of COVID. But even based on that time frame, you're looking at positive growth at 6.27%. But more interestingly, it made over 30% in the last 12 months. And it's up over 27% in the last three years. That's a very difficult track record to beat in the investment Trust sector at the moment. Um, and Ocean Dial has attracted attention. And in fact, in March of this year, Asset Co., which some people will know is the fund management business um, set up by Martin Gilbert, um, who used to be CEO of Aberdeen Asset Management, um, said that they would actually be buying Ocean Dial. So they've obviously recognized that um, there is considerable um, investment expertise there. Um, the thing to bear in mind about Ocean Dial is they are specialists in sort of the smaller end of the markets themselves. So they they, they invest in the SME space in India, something that would be difficult to do unless you, you really know your stuff. And it's not necessarily the most liquid market in the world either. But they have been able to certainly produce some pretty decent returns um, based on that sector. On the downside, um, if you are looking at India, that the, there has been a lot of bad publicity around the Adani Group recently, and that has hit some level of um, investor sentiment in India. And, and even the guys at Ocean Dial, I think, have acknowledged that. But certainly, some of the analysts who follow this investment trust are saying that. But on the on the other side of the coin, SME market in India has been performing really well. The government is very proactive in helping that part of the economy to continue to flourish. The banking sector in India has been has been cleaned up and credit growth is now increasing at a rate of about 16% per annum. Um, you've got a strong government infrastructure program going on. Uh, also, domestic manufacturing is benefiting from a, a lower tax regime as well. The thing to bear in mind too is that India has been benefiting from a lot of business that might otherwise be going to China. Partly that's been politics, partly that's been um, economic reality, um, and also the on the Chinese zero COVID clampdown, which meant that some manufacturers just decided to start using indian factories rather than chinese factories so overall it's it's an investment trust that certainly taps into those considerable dynamics um in south asia the two things people ought to bear in mind though is this this is quite an illiquid portfolio so if you're buying an investment trust like this um don't expect to get your money out immediately and there might also be um a discount to the nav because it's just because the portfolio is is um quite illiquid it's not the same as an investment trust that is investing in s p 500 stocks for example um it is very much a small to mid cap underlying portfolio the other thing that some analysts have flagged up about india is that a lot of indian stocks are trading at high premium levels when you when you compare them with other emerging market stocks So they're worried that some companies are beginning to look um, overvalued. That said, Indian SME sector is pretty diverse, and um, uh, the fund managers have got lots of um, fairly decent companies to choose from. The other big dynamic with India is the exposure to the export market. So that's an area where India could actually be hit by any further economic downturn, and again, um, with this investment trust they 've got about a thirty five percent exposure to companies that are active exporters overseas so something else to bear in mind when you 're looking at the numbers they 've been able to achieve to date. but having said that you know it's it 's a good it 's a good instrument if if you 're looking for for exposure to the indian economy and and really, you know you look around the world at the moment there aren 't that many bright spots right now but but India certainly has been, has been one of those over the last 12 months and, and I would anticipate it will continue to do well. There's an
1: article I think you wrote on, uh, on, on the site a couple of years ago, Stuart, um, which was talking about their workforce and, and the fact that they have sort of a younger workforce than, than, than anybody else. I can't remember the, uh, the, the stats, but it's, it's a young for, uh, young workforce that's, that's growing, which is probably why we're seeing the economy in stronger shape than than, uh, than many other sort of more established uh, countries. Uh, so it's, it's certainly uh, certainly an interesting place I think to, uh, to to consider in the portfolio.
0: Yes and I'm also I mean I'm really encouraged by the way they've been able to pick up some of the slack from China um, because they're well positioned to do that and, and I think there's a lot of a lot of really um, decent small and medium-sized companies there that are doing well. I think one of the ones in the portfolio is a company called Wellspun, who do clothing for the likes of Costco and Walmart in the US? So That's just kind of an example of the sectors you get exposure to there.
2: Yeah, Chalo India. Um, I think it's uh, it's just it's one of those markets that once it gets moving, it's going to be quite unstoppable because of the demographics, because of the size, just the domestic market. You know, there is just vast, and if you you are sort of selling widgets to sort of Indian people, you know, you are never going to run out of customers. It's a bit behind. China in some ways in terms of sort of economic development but you can see the mistakes that sort of China's made and probably within our lifetimes we'll see sort of India sort of surpass China as, as, as the, the economic growth engine of Asia. I mean China's always going to be there but it's post-industrial I think that you know kind of India's at that stage in between uh, you know where it is going to go to the next level and you know with the, the greater reliance on sort of tech globally like we spoke about sort of Microsoft earlier I think that sort of India sort of jumped onto sort of, you know kind of that bandwagon early and you know there's a lot of, sort of you know kind of innovation coming out of, sort of India once India sort of works out how to sort of market Indian goods globally I think it's going to be sort of, you know an amazing story
0: no you're right and, and the other impression I have with India is is unlike China that well there is freewheeling capitalism in China but China reigns it in there's there's the scope for state intervention at a level that I don't think you really see in India. And, and certainly if you're talking about the, the small and medium-sized end of the economy, I think you know you just get a sensation from, from companies there that they are that there aren't that many constraints about about um, you know, how they're able to operate. And you don't have these large state-owned enterprises taking stakes in them or muscling in on the action as much as you do in, in China. But that, that's certainly my impression
1: over to michael now for your mid to small cap um you guys may accuse me of of uh, going with my heart over my head and that's fair but i'm i'm gonna put it out there anyway um i'm going with an iconic brand if you're in the uk and you're a um a supercar enthusiast or you're a james bond fan or you know anything anything even formula one you'd probably want to see aston martin lagonda doing well and i've been looking at them so i've done a bit of research obviously uh there's a bit of a turnaround story because um, I know in, in the past we've we've written about them and and we've sort of been quite cautious about you know where they are and uh, you know what their prospects are. You know they had uh, last September they had an equity raise and they had a profits warning in in November. Uh, I think it was Q3 results, but since then we've we've um, you know we've seen uh, shares. On the up, Uh, so so you know, there's some interesting things going on. Their um, shares are well off their post-IPO highs. I should sort of note that. And I know at the time we we kind of thought they were aiming high with with the IPO share price. I think we we wrote an article that compared. Um, aston martin to ferrari at the time and and, and the pros and cons of uh, of both the the company seems to be sort of you know riding a wave of of confidence you know they're, they're doing pretty well in uh, in in f1 you know as i said before most most car lovers particularly in the uk would probably like to see them doing well um so they're probably jumping on the back of that um you've got backing for mercedes as well um, which is always going to be helpful and they're starting to look at electric cars. They had an announcement um, of an agreement with, I think it was Lucid Group. And, and that's something now that's that's they're moving into sort of, you know, the, the, the realms that they should be moving into. And, and there's no doubt that all this sort of confidence has sort of you know, been reflected in, in, in what the shares are doing. Um, the other thing is the target market isn't affected by, you know, what we're seeing in the, uh, the, the, the economic environment at the moment, you know, the uh, um, cost of living. Uh, and everything else, you know, the, the someone who's buying, a, an Aston Martin is, is probably not sort of, um, scrimping on their shopping. Yeah. There's a lot that's, that's, that, that, that's pretty interesting, um, about where they are. Now, the question is whether this is sort of, um, momentum at the moment, uh, the, the, the downside at the moment is, you know, for me is that they need to start posting a profit, you know, they, they haven't been doing that. And it'll be interesting to, uh, to, to see how they, uh, how they fare over the coming quarters. But um I'm hoping they do well. I'm I'm not necessarily jumping in uh, myself right now, but I, I'd like to see I'd like to see progress on, on that side and then the heart gets to rule.
0: I guess also you can't afford to buy an Aston Martin, you can always you can always afford to buy a piece in the a piece in the Aston Martin
2: story, can't you? Exactly. So uh, over to you John. But my next stock pick is an absolute anathema to what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that you know, burning petrol for you know, kind of you know, kicks and giggles, you know, it's, it's it's not good for your soul. It's not good for the environment. Just think of the bees. We've been covering sort of the renewable energy sector sort of quite closely over the last year or two. Um, but it's not all about sort of solar panels and wind turbines. As about forty percent of the world's carbon emissions come from transportation. Now, undoubtedly, okay, the Barbie doll of the sector has been sort of lithium-ion batteries. And the lithium story has gobbled up column inches, not only in the armchair trader and most other forms of media. But the the Cindy, you know, which is a great doll, you know, uh, has generally been sort of, you know, the mass, the, the the heavy transport. And the most polluting part of transportation is sea cargo. Because right now, as we're speaking, there are thousands of ships traversing shipping lines across the world, belching out big black clouds of toxic emissions to make sure that you, Stuart, uh, get your um, Amazon, that Amazon can deliver your um the Homer Simpson electric toothbrush, you know, with three well-learned catchphrases within 24 hours of you ordering it while sat on the toilet. Now, to paraphrase sort of Chief Brody from Jaws, you're gonna need a bigger battery as lithium ion isn't gonna have the oomph to propel a tanker across the ocean, unless of course you wanna melt. Um, so the challenge is to get that Homer Simpson toothbrush to brighten but reduce the impact of its emissions. And my stock pick Quadrise thinks it's found the secret source. So it's uh, bio msar synthetic fuels, which are a lower cost and lower emission um, fuel compared to what ships use at the moment, which is heavy fuel oil. However, just like Cineworld, Quadrise was really sort of knocked back by coronavirus. Now, after years of tests and trials in white coats in the labs, Quadrise was on the cusp of getting commercial trials underway. And then lockdown happened, meaning it couldn't get its fuels out to the test site. And, you know, there was no one at the dock to run a commercial trial. You know, and it's had a really choppy few years. It's missed a lot of deadlines. I mean, some have been due to forces out of its control and others because of its own shortcomings, you know, things have been a bit close to home. And the share prices have been languishing at the bottom of the ocean. And I think that most investors in sort of quadrise, you know, have been really frustrated by the lack of revenues, lack of returns, lack of dividends. But I think this year, the firm might just be sort of turning a corner. Now Quadras is working with a number of third parties to develop this sustainable fuel technology including Vitoro, which is a Dutch chemical company Um, and they're developing sort of biofuels from woody residues Um, and they're also working with sort of Mediterranean shipping company or MSC which is the world's largest container shipping company. Now the the MSC deal is a biggie Okay, and one analyst um, that I've spoken to thinks that the opportunity in the marine sector with MSC alone could be worth a multiple. Of Quadrise's current enterprise value in potential annual revenues if only a small percentage of um, MSC's overall fuel demand was switched to Quadrise you know MSC currently consumes over sort of 10 million tons of heavy fuel oil annually and the analyst reckons that so, you know Quadrise could take a bit of that and charge about sort of 50 a ton now Quadrise has still got a bit of a way to go you know it's flat to deceive before and it recently failed a trial with a client in Morocco because A bit of kit broke down however quadrise found the part back of a shed somewhere and was ready to go again and um if successful the trial should lead to the firm's first commercial deal it's been a bit lukewarm and the company obviously needs a bit more cash as they recently did a million pound placement um but if and it is still a big if they managed to get a positive test result this company could just blow up you know but I wouldn't stake your granny on it as there's plenty of other ways to play the transportation and the transition game.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a really tough one, isn't it, to, to identify which is going to be the next big winner in that space because there's so many really, really interesting stories out there. You can see things are changing and you can see some of these companies have the technology to potentially be game changers, um, but it's how they get that technology over the line and get that mainstream adoption that will will really take them to the next level but then if you've got exposure to that stock i mean yes you can you can make several times your original investment
1: Quadrise is probably one of those companies that we really want to see do well
0: yeah no you're right everyone wants to see the the, the sort of green stocks do well it's just that some of them yeah, seem, seem not to get the love they deserve and there's quite a few out there to choose from as well.
1: That's it, isn't it? It's your Betamax and your, and your VHS conundrum, you know, which is which is going to, who's going to win out?
0: Uh, now, just moving on to the sort of wildcard choices. Uh, I've actually, I actually had one. Uh, and in the last couple of days, I decided I would add a second one. So these are both Canadian listed stocks. Continuing on the green theme we were talking about, uh, one is called Climate X, which I've come across recently. That's Climate, K L I M. Atx, and they are effectively specialising in reforestation or rewilding projects in the tropics. Um, They've been working in um, Central America and West Africa and what they are doing is basically recreating environments like mangrove swamps, which can then generate carbon credits and these carbon credits can then be sold back to companies like Fortune 100 companies that uh, want to buy those to offset what they're doing in terms of um, continuing to pollute. So this is really a uh, a company which um, is managed by specialists in the space, specialists in environmental science. Um, So they know what they're doing, they have the technical background and the expertise in in, in the carbon credit space. It's it's interesting to me because it is an example of a project which is um, actually you can see that they're making a positive impact and they're looking for future projects of of a, a similar nature to that. And by creating these carbon credits, they they are actually you know genuinely properly verified credits that uh, bigger companies can then buy. Now this is still very early stage, which is why it's a wild card pick for me uh, because that market is continuing to evolve and and I don't think it's a mature one yet but uh, certainly Climate X I know is raising some extra capital at the moment and I know that their management team is planning to look for future reforestation and rewilding projects um, uh, in the tropics they tend to focus on um, smaller countries uh, so they're active in Sierra Leone at the moment I asked them about Brazil and they said Brazil's a very large market very sophisticated and they've already there's already quite a few players working on reforestation projects in Brazil um, whereas some smaller countries don't have that don't have that expertise don't have that infrastructure and that' that's the sort of countries that they would be looking to create um, new projects in the future um, but I've said I've said I' mentioning a second stock as well as another another wild card. Um, regular readers of our website may remember Prostar. Um, that was a company we really liked. Um, they are a tech and data company that records underground, uh, accurate mapping of underground infrastructure like uh, water pipes, cabling, etc., which engineering companies can then access um, in order to be able to Understand exactly what's under their feet before they start digging. And and Prostar, when we we interviewed the CEO, one of the things that really struck me there was just how often um, people digging up stuff go through this infrastructure and create additional costs and delays and such like. And it's just stunning. Even in they tend to work mainly with companies in the U.S., but it's just stunning how how often it happens in the U.S. And I know it happens here. It's happened. I've had my own internet taken out once by someone going through a fiber optic cable just down the street. So it's definitely a problem. And ProStar is definitely, I mean, they're working with companies outside the US as well. And we really liked it. We thought it was a cutting edge, fairly cutting edge tech play. And the But but the, the problem was the, the share price just kept slipping and slipping and slipping. And uh, the reason why I just flagged them up now is because that that stock has now started to rally and it's up. Um, over 50, 55% in the last 90 days. So there's definitely some heavy buying into the share now. It's a niche play in some respects, but uh, we think that it's just a really solid business. And certainly some other investors I've spoken to who are in the shares feel the same way. So it may be just one of those cases where ProStar, you know, it was it was a case of being patient and waiting for it to turn around and now it looks like um, that patience is starting to be rewarded so certainly worth worth having a second look at if it's something you've already read about on the website
1: it's it's really great to see um to, to see Prostar starting to uh, to make some moves it's as you say it's obviously one of those stocks that's just sort of not not being able to get onto people's radars uh until now but it's a scalable model, isn't it? That that they've got. You'd imagine that, you know, once, once they start to get sort of, you know, more and more companies involved in, uh, in this and the big companies, then, uh, it's, it's a great idea. Let, let, let's hope they continue to, uh, to, to do well. I really like Climate X as well. It's, um, just willing, you know, any, any, um, you know, green stocks that have sort of, you know, got great ideas to, to, to offset carbon and, uh, and, and help us towards a world where, uh, where we don't need uh, fossil fuels, or, or offset the use of uh, fossil fuels, uh, it's got to be a good thing. Uh, again, as you say, early early stage, but it would be great to uh, to, to to see them doing well.
0: Yes, yeah, very early stage, but you know you want businesses like that to succeed. If we're gonna if we're gonna resolve climate change, that sort of thing has got to work and has got to be receive the you know backing from investors that it requires. So Michael over to you for your wild card
1: pick. Wild card, right. So I've gone with an AIM listed stock, they're alternative capital uh, solutions providers. Um, the company is Duke Royalty. It's it's an interesting company. I I'm, I'm looking at sort of, you know, where we are at the moment with our um uh you know with with the economic climate as it is, businesses might need support. And what these guys do is they um, they look into the, the nuts and bolts of, uh, of of businesses, and 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 they'll they'll invest only in profitable, uh, long term, viable businesses, uh, which is you're reliant on management uh, for that. But they seem to be sort of uh, do, doing a good job, uh, it, it seems, of uh, of that. Um, and it's a diversified range of businesses that they, uh, they invest in. And it's it's not just the UK; it's, uh, it's it's Europe and beyond as well. So, I, I really like the fact that they're, um, you know, they they they're helping support businesses. They don't they don't take up uh, enough equity uh, in a business that management don't retain control of, of what they're doing. So, if it's a good business that's being well run, you want the management team to continue to do what they're doing, and and that's something that Duke Royalty helps helps them to do. The thing I really like the way they receive income is is through through the royalties through through sort of you know regular payments from from, from companies, and as a result they've they've got a, a high dividend. So at the minute it's it's up at um, above eight percent because of these sort of you know regular uh, sustainable incomes that they can see over the horizon. They're able to plan and, and reward shareholders in that way. It's it's a model that's quite common in the U S not so much over here. You know, it'd be interesting to see if, if, uh, if it captures uh, the imagination a little bit more, the share price has been range bound for quite a while, but obviously you've got the dividend, but it's the the thing for me, that's quite interesting is that it's, it's well off its 2021 highs. Um, So I think, you know, there's opportunity here uh, as if if the business can grow and continue to, to make the right investments and uh and, and build itself up so uh that's my wild card it's it's probably a a slightly safer play potentially than uh than, than you've gone for certainly in terms of climate x which is early stages but it's uh it's one that i like no very good thank you for that michael
0: um and uh i'm i'm gonna say i'm, I'm conscious of time so therefore uh We'll go over to John for, for, for your wild card pick, John.
2: Yeah, Michael, I really like cute uh, Royalty. Um, it's been sort of one of those stocks that I've enjoyed covering. Um, and as you say, you know, the royalty uh, model isn't really that well exploited in the UK. But the interesting thing about them is <clears throat> they haven't gone down the US route of um, royalty. You know, most, um, a lot of the Canadian and American royalty companies, you know, are focused on the mining sector digging out bits of gold and silver. What's different about Duke is that they they are quite diversified and they sort of shy away from that. I mean, I love the fact that they're they're hitting the zeitgeist of of the time and getting into healthcare and sort of secondary care and stuff like that. And it's like sort of businesses like that, which, which have got a different sort of risk profile, you know, which perhaps don't get as much support or as much cheap support as they can get from, you know, traditional sort of finance houses, you know, that are sort of taking advantage of that. And, uh, yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, it's, it's a stock that I've looked at really closely and stock um, I think is going to do well because they are on the right model. You know, they don't actually have to sort, you know, kind of um, change any diapers or, you know, sort of feed people mashed swede, but they can still sort of, you know, kind of make money off, off that part of um, the industry. Um, with with my wild card, it was uh, Zanaga, uh, an iron ore company. It's just, it shows you how kind of the small crap Markets, one of those ones that react really really quickly you know and things can go up as well as they can go down zanaga has been sort of that case over the last couple of weeks you know uh it's been for me the most surprising sort of uh rise this year you know and it's one which has kept sort of uh tony cross in clover for the last few weeks as it's been uh up and down like a fiddler's elbow you know it kind of hits you know kind of um you know high of nearly sort of 19p you know after years of just doing absolutely nothing and floating around sort of 1.7p um, about this time last year and you know to be brutally honest there's a lot of small cap companies out there and to be fair i didn't know much about this company it's just a n other small cap african explorer that's got a right to dig a hole in a patch of rainforest or desert or savannah somewhere in a vast minerally rich but commercially unrewarding continent the chief clifford elford has got a bit of history in mining And he was the driving force behind Gem Diamonds, which uh, have been sort of pulling out sort of uh, rocks the size of your fist from the Sutu and Botswana over the last couple of years. But, you know, the the whole concept of diamonds and iron ore, you know, are completely different. It's a completely different type of mining. They're very, very different commodities. Um, And Sanaga is located in the Republic of Congo, which is across the river from the larger, much well better known mining jurisdiction of the DRC you know if you look back in its history the company wasn't doing anything exceptional you know its presentations were straight out of the african mining copybook where you just can substitute resource and location and unrealistic roi numbers from presentation to presentation uh, in order to sort of tap up shareholders uh, for a bit more money to uh, pay executive salaries and dig some more holes in the ground. But then, you know, a couple of weeks out, there was this massive leap, which has offered uh, 500% year-on-year returns by the 26th of June. You know, nothing of exceptional note had been announced since last November. But then, you know, the rumor mill started, and I started looking around and seeing what people were sort of chatting about and, you know, talking about big Chinese investors coming in, takeovers, Glencore and all this. And everybody just wanted to sort of jump on this, this next lunar-bound rocket, and the company sort of announced its results a few days later, and it wasn't really that exceptional. Yep, the company had turned from loss to a bit of profit, but it's not about to change the world. And then the share price just dropped off and returned to the sevens, and it's about that level um, now and where it was back in April. Now, Zalanga isn't an exceptional company, and I, I do wish them the best, but it shows what sort of crazy market aim is. You know, I mean, there's there's money to be made at the short as well as the 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 long end and the buy and hold end of the market and there's also sort of kind of that opportunity to to lose money and you can see that in the cases of sort of deep verge or advanced oncotherapy or pitards which you know are out in in the the desert now thing is you really need to when you're looking at small cap stocks to really really do your research and we're open here at the armchair trader we're trying to give you a little bit of that you know because sometimes it's a bit like sort of chucking a a dart at kind of a dartboard because, you know, Zanago just came out of nowhere and I'm sure by this time next year it'll be back to nowhere. But if you hit it at the right time, you know, you're, you're you're laughing. Yeah,
0: no, I would agree with that. We've certainly seen that with some of our other picks in the past where you buy into a really interesting story and and then nothing happens or in fact the share price drops. But uh, when it goes right, um, then you're seeing, you know, we've been seeing like three, 400% Returns on some of these um, small caps, um, if you get your timing right. Uh, well, there are many different factors involved um, going on behind the scenes as well. Um, one of the big ones I found is existing shareholders who who take the opportunity to get out of out of a stock. Um, so one, you know the price suddenly goes up, and then you can see the profit taking happening. You know someone's offloading a a lot of shares because they want to go build themselves a new swimming pool. But uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's not something you have to worry about if you're, you know, trading a FTSE 350 stock, but but it is definitely something that appears. Um, uh, yeah,
2: but it'd be good good to have a look at how, how the sort of relative markets have done this year. You know, I mean, like uh, the small cap versus sort of the FTSE 100. There's been sort of a, a level of, you know, subduedness in the bigger companies and, you know, in many ways, disappointment, whereas, you know, small caps, you know, they're, they're a bit bipolar in the sense that, you know, kind of, you know, some of them are going, oh, it's great, best thing ever. And other ones are saying, well, we're kind of a little bit cautious about the next results. You're not quite sure if it's going to go. But we are a going concern, honest, gov. Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: So before we before we close the episode and indeed um, the season for the year, any any last comments or remarks from you guys
1: just just for me <clears throat> just a, a thank you to everybody for uh, uh listening um sharing commenting liking uh and supporting us uh essentially through through the year obviously without um listeners and and, and you know visitors to the site then uh, you know this doesn't happen so uh as always very much appreciative uh, thank you yeah i'll, I'll second that, that michael i think you know it's, it's
2: it's it's actually sort of you know a real pleasure working here because you know you get to to look at these small companies and you know, it's just, just just fun for me, you know, finding out about all the innovation that's in that that market. You know, if you want to see things changing where the sort of Titans are going to be, and I'm being a bit biased here because I just love small caps. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really where the action is. No, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, we're wrapping up the podcast for the summer um, to allow our team to all go off and, and get some beach time. And our plan is to uh, return with a new, brand new season, uh, new guests, new interviews. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, and also, uh, if you're not already signed up to our, either our weekly or daily newsletters on the uh, website, uh, thearmchairtrader.com, do go over there and sign up to get your, your fix on what's happening in the, not only the equity markets, but other markets as well. Um, so uh, have a good summer, and uh, we'll see you back here in September. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast, make sure you visit our website www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.